All right, so today's the first Sunday in Advent. Think of Advent as the arrival, right? It's the arrival of the king. It's actually the return of the king. This first one is actually the return. The second one is like a return, but it's incredibly consummative. Uh, so now everyone knows that I love Advent sermons. Um, and I started looking at my, like the preaching on my computer, looking at the sermons that I've done over Advent all these years. Do you know that I have been doing Advent sermon series for the past four years? So it's a joke that I don't like Advent sermons, but for the past four years, I've been giving you Advent sermons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holly. Thank you, Holly. Uh, so from 2019 to th- 2022, so during those rough COVID years, the rough Lockdown years, I felt sorry for you, so I did Advent sermons. So what are we going to do this Advent? Well, the answer is we're going to do Advent in Philippians. We're going to do, we have two more sermons in Philippians. And so the first two Advents will be in Philippians. Then you'll get three real Advent sermons. Why? Because you're going to get two on Sunday, on on Christmas Eve. We have a morning service, evening service. You'll even get two on that day. So three are coming But we're going to wrap up Philippians in Advent. Today, next week, and then Philippians is done. So today will be our 13th sermon in Philippians. Isn't that amazing? The fall is just blowing by. So the series has been joy in jail, right? Everyone wants joy. No one wants jail. Paul has both. That's the series. Now, today's text requires an honest conversation, About what, you ask? Well, I'm so glad you ask. An honest conversation about sanctification. If you don't know what that word means, it means uh, Christian growth, the Christian life. It means your life being changed. It means renewal. It means your spiritual life. It means growing as a Christian. It means walking with God, knowing God, experiencing God, desiring God. It means holiness, obedience, image-bearing. Christ-likeness, it means the spirit-filled life, the spirit-led life, the spirit-anointed life, the spirit-disciplined life, what the spirit-victorious life, whatever it, the spirit is doing these days. It's keeping the law. It's following God. It's being surrendered, sold out, passionate, dedicated, committed, a fully functioning follower of Jesus. Have I missed anything? Okay. Here's the honesty part. Honesty number one. Most of us are confused about everything I just said. We have no idea how it works. We don't know what to do. But we pretend we do. We write books about it. We blog about it. We podcast about it. We preach and teach about it. We tell others what to do and others all about it. Honesty number two. Most of us think everyone else, though, is not confused about it all. They get it. It works for her. They walk with God. Their lives are changing They live holy lives. They don't seem to struggle like me. 
They're living a good Christian life. Honesty number three. Most of us think one of two ways about it all, the Christian life sanctification, when comparing ourselves to others. Way number one, I'm doing better than them. Way number two, they're doing better than me. And that's how we move through the Christian life in the church. Honesty number four, most of us long for help in sanctification. Can someone please help me? Can someone please tell me the truth? One pastor who endorsed this book that if you haven't read, make that the only New Year's resolution that you will have. I hate New Year's resolutions. I mean, I agree with my mentor who says if you set your goals low enough, you hit them every time. There's a book called Extravagant Grace. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Uh, when J.I. Packer read John Owen for the first time, he said he saved my life spiritually. Barbara Duguid could save your life spiritually, Christian. In the inside flap, this one pastor says, the way many Christians think about sanctification is, well, not very sanctified. In fact, it's downright narcissistic. We think way too much about how we're doing, if we're growing, whether we're doing it right or not. We spend too much time brooding over our failures and reflecting on our successes. What I've discovered is that the more I focus on my need to get better, the worse I actually get. I, get, I become self-absorbed, which is the exact opposite of how the Bible describes what it means to be sanctified. Most of us long for help and sanctification. Can someone please help me? Can someone please tell me the truth? Today's text will tell you the truth. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Philippians 4, 8. Here it comes. There we go. Finally, brothers and sisters, in the original language, that is exactly what's being said. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have heard or learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We're so grateful for your word. Uh, the psalmist actually says, you made me hope in your word, that through my schools of experience, I learned to hope in your word. You made me hope in your word. So, oh, Lord, our hope is only in your word. So speak us back to life again. God's people said, amen. All right. Most of us long for help and sanctification. Can someone please help me? Can someone please tell me the truth? Help number one, Philippians 4, 
8. We ready? Finally, brothers and sisters. Finally, it, it, it means this. Think of an exclamation point. Paul is basically saying, okay, here's, I'm summarizing everything I've just said in this letter to you. Here's the big idea. Do not think a new topic like some kind of, I'm going to give you a sneak preview to 3 Corinthians or something. All right? He's not saying anything new than what he's already said. He's just putting an exclamation point on it. Are you ready? So here we go in rapid fire. Whatever is honorable. Oh, no. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Now, you need to know because this will set the direction of the whole thing we're about to do. In the New Testament, when the word true is used, it always refers to the truths of God. It never does not refer to the truths of God. So you know what that means. Whatever is true is referring to everything God reveals about himself and what he does. It's called divine revelation. Everything about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished is true. And all its implications. So there's only one person, and this person accomplished it. It's true. And he establishes reality called the kingdom of God and all of its implications. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Honorable in the ancient world meant this. It meant that there was someone or something or some event that just went deep into your bones in such a way that you just said, amazing. It made you marvel. Something. Someone. Some event. Amazing. Whatever is just. That means all righteousness and all its implications. It's a comprehensive word. So it's it's not just one thing, it's anything that's just, anything that's righteous in all its implications, anything that's good or has goodness in all its implications, comprehensive, all-encompassing, universal and global, whatever is pure. He could have said whatever is holy. He could have said whatever is light, whatever is life. He could have said, whatever is not stained with sin, whatever is not falling to pieces, whatever is not creeping in the shadows of the realm of the dead, whatever is lovely, he could have said, whatever is pleasing and delightful and beautiful. He could have said, whatever is loved, because it's lovely. See, the emphasis isn't on it pleasing you. The emphasis is on it's pleasing to you because it's pleasing. I think the power, the secret power of things we love is that they love us first and it's why we love them back. If you're an athlete and you love sports, it's not about your passion for it. It's because it loves you, and you love it back. If you're a musician, same thing. If you're an artist, it's because God has packed glory and power and beauty and love in these things as a reflection of himself, and we're tapping into it. Whatever is commendable. This is amazing. You know what it literally means? Whatever is of a good report. 
Now, do you spend any time around here? We say things like good news, not good advice. Do you see it? Whatever is of a good report, whatever is good news. Now there's a slight shift. Those first six are adjectives. So an adjective modifies something else, right? These next two are nouns. These next two are basically summarizing the six. So it's just trying to grasp the incomprehensible. That's what's happening here. If there is anything excellent, if there is anything that's splendid, if there's anything that's dazzling, if there's anything that's magnificent, if there's anything that's glorious, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's anything that makes you stand up in if there's anything that makes you roar in victory. I mean, when you go to a game and we lost this last game, but you should have heard Franklin roar. That's church. That's Christianity. You, everyone, roars at a victory. Everyone cheers a winner. It's what we do. It's like in our bones. Anything that reaches the roots of your being and resurrects you is worthy of praise. And Paul says, think about these things. Think about these things. Think about these things. Help number one. Help number one is not think yourself better. Help number one is not think about being a good Christian and you become a good Christian. Think about virtue and good character and you become that virtue and that character. Think about ways to access the Holy Spirit, and you access the Holy Spirit. Think about being holy, and you become holy. Think about loving God, and you love God. Think about loving people, and you love people. Think about it, and you get it. Help number one is not think yourself better. Help number one is be pieced by thinking about these things. Be pieced by thinking about these things. Let's look at it again, because you need to be proven that. I guarantee it. So look, verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, right, et cetera, et cetera. Six adjectives, two nouns to summarize it all. You with me? Okay. Think about these things. Well, what things? Well, the things in verse 8, and the things in the whole book of Philippians, and the things especially in chapter 2, which is the centerpiece for the whole book, the name. Think about Jesus things, salvation things, kingdom of God things, gospel things. That's the things to think about 
that these six adjectives and two nouns are trying to grasp. Okay, you with me? Now look at verse 9. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. And is a connecting conjunction. Do you see it? And, connecting conjunction, means and simultaneously. Think about these things, and simultaneously the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things, and simultaneously the God of peace will peace you. Think about these things, and the God of peace will grace you. Be peaced. How, Jeff, pastor? By thinking about these things. When you think about these things, the promise is you will be peaced. This is not a conditional clause. If you were going to create a conditional clause that says, think yourself better, and when you do, God will be with you. The original language has a conditional form. This is not. This is a coordinating conjunction, which means at the same time, and any time the God of peace is used in the Bible, it's always in a sense of promise. It will happen. The reason why he didn't say he's with you is because he already did. So what he's anticipating here is you going and doing things and you going into your relationships and life and doing algebra and the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise. Think about these things and you'll be peaced. You'll be graced. Now, Paul says the same things in Romans, does he not? It's a really famous passage. In fact, the whole ministry called Ligonier is built on this premise. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that interesting? Be transformed is the same thing as saying be sanctified. It's the same thing as saying trust God. It's the same thing as grow to love God. Uh, it's the same thing as become more obedient. It's the same thing as be renewed, be changing, be becoming yourself. Paul says, be transformed, be sanctified. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's incredible because that be transformed in Romans is what's called a divine passive. Do you know what a divine passive is? This is God is in the grammar. It's so amazing. It means that you're acted upon. This is the most amazing command in all the Bible. Be acted upon by God. Be graced by God. Be peaced by God. What an amazing command. When we think these things, think about these things, the God of peace shows up to give you peace. And the God of peace will be with you. It's not that he wasn't there because he is there objectively. But we need to feel him there experientially. And when you think about these things, he shows up experientially and graces you. And pieces you and sanctifies you, transforms you. Think about these things and you will be peaced. How freeing is this? This is absolutely like amazing. You're thinking about the Christian life. You want to know what the Christian life is. Everyone's confused about the Christian life. This is so freeing. Be peaced. How, Jeff? By thinking about these things. Be peaced. How, Jeff, by thinking about gospel things? Be peaced. How, pastor? By thinking about Jesus' things. 
And the reason why this is not like, be pieced, how? By thinking about algebra, because that's not going to do anything to you. Or be pieced, how? Well, follow these 150 biblical principles. Be pieced, how? Well, access these access points to the Holy Spirit. The reason why is because these things, this message, is called the power of God. And the message itself is called an imperishable seed. Now, I use this over and over and over again, but we need to do it again. The reason why the gospel is called an imperishable seed is because it's a seed. A seed carries life and power in it. And wherever the seed goes, the life and power in the seed. For example, I take a piece of glass and I bury it in the ground and I cover it up and I water it and I fertilize it and I become the glass whisperer. Oh, grow glass, grow. And we know the glass will not grow. But you plant a seed. The gospel is the power of God. He releases divine life and divine power on you when you hear it. Think about these things, and you will be peaced, graced, transformed. How clear is this for the Christian life? Think about these things to be peaced. Think about these things to experience God. Think about these things to grow in your faith in God. Think about these things to grow in your love for God. Think about these things to grow in your obedience to God. Think about these things and you will be peaced. You will be graced. You will grow in your love for others. Think about these things and you will grow in courage and hard work and discipline. Think about these things. And you will grow in joy and peace and freedom. Think about these things and you'll be sanctified. You'll change. You'll become holy. How clear is that? So read the Bible. Think about these things. Be peaced. So do doctrine. Study doctrine. Learn doctrine. Not to be right. And to win the argument, but to think about these things, to be peaced, to be graced. Go to church. Think about these things. Be peaced. Tell others about these things so you can peace them, grace them. It's an amazing way to parent. Most of us long for help and sanctification. Can someone please help me? Can someone please tell me the truth? Help number one, be peaced. How? By thinking about gospel things. Help number two, verse nine. What you have learned and received, learned and received is used throughout the New Testament to learn the gospel message, to receive the gospel message. So that's clear. That's the gospel things. That's the verse 8 things. That's the whole of Philippians things. That's Jesus things. Now, this is interesting, but 
and heard and seen in me. This is where everybody flips out. All the commentators flip out. They don't know what to do with this because it's seen and heard in me. What do you mean? The stuff you've seen and heard in Paul. What do you mean? The gospel life that's worked itself out in Paul. You see it. You hear it. The implications of how the gospel has pieced him and changed him and affected him. You see it. You hear it. But here's what's so amazing about this. I absolutely love this text. I love this text because it says so little I mean, at least the Philippians had Paul. He visited them. He planted the church. They got to see him. They got to see what happened when he starts preaching the gospel and everyone starts saying, it says literally, they begged. They begged that he would preach the gospel to them. That's what the text says in Acts. They begged. But then this riot breaks out because the economy started being impacted because nobody was buying the silver for the idols. So he gets thrown in jail. Now, at least they saw all this. We read about it, which is great, right? But at least they got to see him. At least they got to see what he looked like, what the look on his face looked like when they all surrounded him and were coming at him. What did he do? Come and get it. Come and get me. The courage, maybe. The bravery, the boldness. The lack of fear, maybe in a prison cell, singing hymns. The jailer's like this veteran, this war veteran, this centurion who's seen it all and taken who knows how many lives. It's like, what is this? Well, at least they got to see it. You know, we read about it, okay? But we didn't get to spend any time with him. We didn't get to see what he was like when he was doing algebra. We didn't get to see him run on the field and play a game. We didn't get to see him practice his instruments because his parents made him. We didn't get to see any of that. But Paul in the Bible says, practice a gospel life. Do a gospel life. Practice these things. Okay. <laughs> okay, we say, can you give us just a little more, Paul? Can you tell us a little more about what we're supposed to do? Practice a gospel life, do a gospel life. Okay, but what about in this area, in that area? Well, Paul says, didn't you just read the book of Philippians? I mean, y'all are on the 13th sermon in Philippians, right? Oh, so we reread Philippians and we hear things about Paul. And we see things about Paul like this. We see joy in jail. And we see joy in prayer. And we see joy in friendship. And we see joy in mission, joy in being, like, used by God. And then we see, oh, man, we see only Jesus, him saying only Jesus. Only Jesus in preaching. And only Jesus corrects bad preaching. And only Jesus corrects bad teammates in the church. Okay. Then we see he says that this is his words, only Jesus. Then he says this, only live a gospel life. In other words, keep running. Don't quit. Press on in a gospel life. Okay, great. What else do we see? We see the local church. What does he say about the local church? He says, be a gospel team. The mission is the gospel. It's not all these other missions. You have one mission. That's it, church. One. Not ten. If you have a vision statement that has more than one mission, it's not a mission. The mission is the gospel. 
Now, there's all kinds of implications to that, right? Because that's what we want. Well, what are they? So minimal. Be a good teammate. Work on your messy relationships. Remember the relational conflict that was there. And then we see, what else do we see? The name is everything. He says to rejoice in it. And he says, beware the dog teaching that tries to take you away from it. Okay? Pretty basic stuff, though, when you look. You know, I was looking for more, honestly. I was like, okay, i got to reread Philippians to figure out what I need to see and hear in Paul that he's revealing about his life so that we do these things. But it's pretty normal stuff. It's normal stuff about connecting with God, connecting with each other, and connecting with a mission. Normal stuff. Ordinary, normal life. But what about all the other comprehensive practices that we need to know about? What about all the other comprehensive applications and things about, well, like dating that we need to do? Or sex? Or marriage? Or parenting? Or what about money and mental health? And how to discern God's will for the job you should take or the school you should go to or the part of the country you should live in? What about all those comprehensive practices, Paul? And what about like eating healthy or living like Little House on the Prairie or workout routines by Samson? Or what about like education? What are we supposed to do there? Homeschool, private school, combination of both, public school. Well, what about like art and music and recreation and politics and the state and the culture? And the answer is crickets. Do you see verse 9? Do you see any of that in verse 9? Please hear me because I know some of you are already thinking this because I, I know you. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say anything on these topics. That's not what I'm saying. That would be ridiculous. But I am saying, because this text is saying, it says less than we think. And just a side note, footnote, there's a confusion today in the Christian life between creation and redemption. Creation is accessible to us all right here. Just go do algebra. Well, how do I build a Christian bridge? You don't. You just build a good one. And some of us spend too much time trying to make the Bible say things it doesn't say when it's already out there for you. Go do it. It's creation. Okay? Enough of that. Enough of that preaching. Most of us long for help and sanctification. Can someone please tell me the truth? Can someone please help me? Help number two. Here it is. What's the first help? Be peaced. Right? How? By thinking about gospel things. What's help number two? Simply do the next thing. <laughs> Simply do the next thing. Practice these things. Live a gospel life. Are you a student? Do your work. Are you an athlete? Work hard. Train hard. Compete. Enjoy it. Are you a husband? Love your wife. Which is easy to do. Are you a parent? 
You want the best parenting advice that I could ever give you? You ready? And I don't need to like have someone follow me and tape me. Love your kids. Build a relationship with your kids. That's 99.9% of your parenting. Single? Are you single? Make friends. Make lots of them. Lots and lots of friends. Are you a plumber? Do a good job. You don't know what career path to take? What do you want to do? Well, I really want to do this. Then go do it, please. Well, I want to do this, but it's not open to me. What's open to you? This, do it. There's a reason why it's open to you. But see, that's a, a discussion on providence. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Yes, you do. Live a gospel life. Think about these things and be peaced. Or to say it another way, learn to build your messy life and relationships and everything you do in your life around Jesus and his salvation. You do know what to do. You don't know what all that looks like. It's not laid out for you in a 500-page discipleship manual. But as you learn to build your messy life around Jesus, what happens is you start gaining wisdom. And wisdom isn't a biblical principle. Wisdom is a gospel life. Because what happens is, is you start seeing life through the lens of the gospel. You know, it's that famous C.S. Lewis quote where he was asked, oh man, did you just, like, I know you wrote this incredible Christian allegory of the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, I know you wanted to get the gospel message in there. And he's looking at the interviewer like, what are you talking about? How did you get inspired? How did you, like, come up with this? It's amazing. And he says, I like lions. And I had this image of this creature standing at a light post. Well, what happened to C.S. Lewis? How did he write something like that? Because it was in him. Because redemption, the gospel, was in him. It came out in a life called wisdom. But see, we don't do the hard work of learning to live a gospel life. We want to know what the will of God is from A to Z, and he doesn't tell you. Some of you are thinking, but what if I need more? I need more parenting help. Then ask another parent. Seek wisdom. But I need more. I need more dating help. Then ask your parents. Yeah, your parents. They're married. They did this. And then ask some friends. Well, what if I need more algebra help? That's a good one. Ask my wife. She's good at algebra. <laughs> what about I need more motivational help? I just can't get up in the morning. I just don't know what to do. I just can't stop playing video games. Answer, ask a Navy SEAL. For real. Or ask me, because I like to pretend I am. 
Some of you are thinking the Christian life can't be this simple, Jeff. What you're saying, it can't be this simple. Okay, verse 9, look at it again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Who is the God that is with you? The God of peace. The God who says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus stepped into your storm. He stepped into all the wind and all the waves of your sin and your curse and your death. And Jesus, the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, says, peace, be still. He speaks it into your soul, and there's a great calm, and the God of peace is with you. This is what you do. You get peaced. You get graced. You've been set free. That's amazing. The reason why you don't know what to do in all these things is that the God of peace is with you because you're free now to just simply do the next thing because you've been set free to do it. You've been set free to be curious. You've been set free to learn. You've been set free to kind of investigate creation and figure things out. You've been set free to learn how to build your messy life around him. You've been set free to learn how to pray. You've been set free to learn how to read your Bible. You've been set free to learn how to resolve conflict. You've been set free to learn how to trounce your self-importance. You've been set free <laughs> to learn how to do this stuff, to simply do the next thing. Most of us long for help and sanctification. Can someone please help me? Can someone please tell me the truth? Help number one, be peaced. Be graced by thinking about these things. Help number two, simply do the next thing. How can I just simply do the next thing? Because you've been set free to. Amen. Let me pray for us.